This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon and surprise. Uh, not Linda this afternoon. Brian Callahan in for Linda uh, today and possibly tomorrow. We'll keep you posted on that. I'll know when you know. Um, well, no, I'll probably know a little bit before when you know. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to quickly check with you because we have staff going out the highway too. Um, I know you just mentioned it, but uh, it's still looking like the Soldiers Pond area. There's. It's actually looking like it's slowing even more down down more yeah. yeah so that's westbound uh, i guess as the emergency vehicles get on scene and they start to uh exactly. you get some rubberneckers of course everybody wants to have a look but yeah. um it is the highway so hopefully people are you know following direction and flowing through as simply possible still no word though we don't know yet uh, to the extent of that accident but we'll let you know and claudette feel free to jump in anytime with that plenty of other news um on the go today which is kind of surprising sometimes you know the Day starts out as a dog day of summer in the news business. You never know what's going to come up. but um, uh, And then things come up, such as um, uh, early this morning, we started getting wind of an incident possibly at the Come By Chance uh, refinery, the Brea Fine, Re- Renewable Fuels F- Refinery at Come By Chance. Um, and uh, so we put out inquiries, and uh, sure enough, um, Occupational Health and Safety is looking into an incident that occurred apparently on Tuesday, possibly Tuesday morning, uh, at the refinery. Now, of course, this comes on the heels of last year's flash fire that uh, unfortunately led to the death of one worker, and uh, at least seven others were injured there. No indication this is any relation, but of course, within a year, and incidents when they happen, any in a couple in a short period of time, um, they're going to get some attention, especially with the work they're putting into that refinery to repurpose it um, for renewable fuels. And a big announcement that I was there just a month or so ago out there, you know, talking about the investments there. But of course, as they say, safety and security of the workers at the site are their utmost priority. And they released a statement just a short time ago. Um, not very long statement. I'll just read directly from it so you can get an idea of the, you know, the, the context and the tone of, of, uh, of these news releases. Um, a worker drilled a test hole in a repurposed line that had been in nitrogen service for several months. Once the line was drilled and gas tested, there was a small amount of hydrocarbon gas initially detected inside the pipe. Uh, Testing outside the pipe showed no leakage of those hydrocarbons. The line was not in service or under pressure at the time of the task. Consistent with our safety protocols, this particular task has been paused while an internal analysis is completed and shared with our employees and OHS, Occupational Health and Safety. Um, So uh, OHS, we uh, Occupational Health and Safety Division, a branch of government, of course, we put in requests to them, and they're calling this a near miss. So we hear that term often um, with offshore activities um, when there's an incident. And so they're using the same term here, kind of strange to me, being in the business for so long, a near miss to me would suggest it was a hit. But this means a near miss, uh, so nothing uh, came of it. Uh, but we're hearing from employees that say it left them a little unsettled, of course, in light of recent incidents. Um, but uh, investigators are looking into it. Again, uh, we don't have anything beyond that. So uh, as soon as we do get it, uh, we will 
uh, pass it on. But uh, there's no been, there has been no stop work order or anything of that nature issued as well by the department or any part of government or, or regulation. So um, uh, at this point, they have paused work on that particular area and investigators are looking into what exactly happened. So when we know, we'll let you know. Also, um, emergency landing there at the airport a short time ago. Um, reportedly, you know, we don't always get the details on why these aircraft are diverted or have to come in, but this one apparently um, officials at St. John's Airport were kind enough to get back to us and tell us that the uh, windshield on one of these large CP-140 um, uh, aircraft, Royal Canadian Air Force uh, patrol, really, they patrol the, uh, the maritime coastal areas, and uh, this large co cargo uh, patrol aircraft, if I can spit this, these words out this afternoon, um, came in for emergency landing, all good, landed safely without incident, but it must be kind of hairy, you know, a um, little weary of cracked windshield and decompressionization, but uh, not sure what altitude they would have been flying at, but in any event, um, no issues there, came in, made some news there for a bit, people might have seen it land, but uh, all good. And then of course there was an assault in the city uh, late last evening, or not late last evening, around seven o'clock last night around the St. John's, and police are looking for help here, around the St. John's Babel's Road, uh, in the area of uh, say Littledale, Corpus Christi Church, and Bowering Park, where Columbus Drive uh, overpass meets uh, eventually with Topsail Road there near the village intersection and all that neighborhood. Um, there was apparently a serious assault, the police are calling it. We're not um, sure of the full extent of injuries. They're still calling it a serious assault, and they're pleading with anyone in that area that has video uh, to contact them. Um, sometime between 8 and or 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. last night, Wednesday evening, in the area of Babel's Road, Topsail Road, Corpus Christi Church, Littledale, Barring Park, anywhere that area along Waterbridge Road and going up towards Topsail Road. So if you have uh, any information, you might have seen something. It left a 34-year-old man uh, with serious injuries. And again, that's all we have beyond that, but the RNC are looking for help uh, in that case. And what else do we have? Well, of course, uh, as well, we heard today that... Um, and earlier this week, really, first, uh, you know, credit where credit is due. CBC had a story earlier this week, which really uh, comes from these monthly reports, um, sometimes quarterly reports as well. But the monthly report that's uh, often posted on the Hydro site from Liberty uh, consultants who continually monitor. They have to report to them and give them updates on the situation. It wasn't so long ago. It was only a month and a half ago that Hydro had their AGM here in town that I covered. And, you know, it was all, all good, onward and upward. And, you know, Hydro says they will continue to have issues, of course, in the early days of Muskrat Falls and that generating station. But now we know that um, one of the generating units has to be completely dismantled, given vibration issues and problems, a suggestion that um, gas may have gotten into some of the lines and so uh, into some of the turbine equipment. And in the end, uh, they decided they had to dismantle the whole unit. Now, they do stay. They're still putting out the you know, uh, maximum um, output of power. And this work will have to be done eventually. And there are suggestions there may be some issues with one other generating unit, but not to this extent. It's very early days again, but at least one of those uh, generating units will have to be fully dismantled. So I know, uh, you know, they... Uh, 
it's it's been tough times and hard going with the Muskrat Falls project, and this can't look good. But again, they're. Uh, uh, keeping a positive tone to this and saying that these issues will crop up from time to time and they'll deal with them as they come. And uh, f- from what we understand now, it's not interrupting the level of uh, generation they can output from Muskrat Falls and to put to their customers, such as um, in Nova Scotia and uh, through the maritime link So and the customers there. So um, that's the uh, broad uh, strokes of the news this afternoon. Um, A lot of other stories uh, we're following for tomorrow as well. Coming up on the show in a few minutes, um, you know, we all know the uh, fallout from the crab dispute this year. Jason Spingle, Secretary Treasurer of the FFAW, is going to give us an update on what the landings have been like, what they've been able to do with the price, which we know was about 220. We know that at times there were incremental increases up to about uh, 230, 225, 230. But uh, we'll just give them a little update, you know, overview. There was a lot of hullabaloo about all that. And uh, we'll see, well, you know, how it's all fallen out to this point in the season. We know that they're making landings. And by all accounts, no soft shell crab yet. So that's a good sign. Um, so we'll get into a bit of that. As well, Jiffy Cabs now is on board with their um, the mobile app that you can log on to and order a cab that way. Other cab companies in the city have had them uh, for a few weeks now, but um, Jiffy now as well is on board, and we'll talk to um, the uh, Jiffy Cab's owner and the dispatch manager about uh, about that and uh, how it's being received and how well it's going so far. And as well, there was a, a large announcement today, a very important announcement regarding uh, care for people and families living with dementia. That happened in Placentia this morning, um, and we'll hear some uh, audio from that. Um, you know, this is the summer months. I'd love to have been down there this morning, go on a little road trip to Placentia for that announcement, but we're a little bit stretched in with staff, as you can tell that I'm sitting in here for Linda today. So, uh, but we do have, um, they did live stream that, and we do have some tape and audio from that, the announcement this morning down in Placentia. Already quarter past the hour, Claudette. That was quick. Um, so we'll take a short break and come on back, and I will have some uh, the information for a lot of families that are going through the dementia um, uh, journey with the families and loved ones and we'll get right back right to that story when we get right back on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. It's Brian Callahan back with you. Welcome back to the program, News Talk, of course, where we talk all things news. And uh, just a reminder, too, you know, if you have a comment on anything that we're talking about or that's in the news that I just mentioned off the top, I'll, uh, uh, what Patty will do in the morning with open line, just throw some stuff. That is what's in the news. So if you got a thought on any of it, you may have a thought on this um, federal government and um, has uh, announced, let me see, Seven hundred, more than $700,000 for the Partnering for Dementia-Friendly Communities Project in Newfoundland and Labrador. So this is the province and federal government, of course. Um, and this happened in Placentia this morning. Uh, several people on hand. I'll give, get into all of the details uh, in a moment. Um, anything that uh, you don't hear in the tape. But basically, we had um, Ken McDonald, the Avalon MP, was there this morning on behalf of um, the federal minister of health, Jean-Yves Duclos. And uh, Ken was there along with, um, let's see, who else did we have there? Debbie Walsh was there, of course, 
with the uh, NL Health Services, and so we'll hear from her in a moment. But we'll hear from Ken first, who gives a very good broad overview of uh, how this funding is going to be best put to use. Many of us know someone living with dementia, an umbrella term that describes a set of symptoms affecting brain function. It's a chronic condition that unfortunately usually becomes more severe over time. Perhaps you have a partner, parent or relative diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, which is one form of dementia. Or you may know someone caring for a family member or friend living with dementia. Almost 470,000 Canadians aged 65 and older live with diagnosed dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. Four in ten Canadians indicate that they feel uncomfortable telling their employer or community member about a dementia diagnosis because they feel they would be treated differently due to stigma. This needs to change. The Government of Canada has demonstrated its commitment to improving the lives of people living with dementia, as well as their families and caregivers, by launching Canada's first National Dementia Strategy in 2019. Today, on behalf of my colleague, the Honourable Jean-Yves Duclos, Minister of Health, I am pleased to announce $716,000 to the Government of Newfoundland and Labrador for the Partnering for Dementia Friendly Communities Program. This program is delivering an awareness campaign through social and mainstream media. Additionally, eight communities in the province are participating in the development of their own dementia-inclusive community action plans. Today's announcement is part of a broader investment of $50 million over five years announced in 2019 to support the implementation of key elements of Canada's National Dementia Strategy. I'm confident that the Partnering for Dementia Friendly Communities Project is helping to improve the quality of life for many people in this province who are living with dementia. We all have a role to play and can learn to help and better understand those affected by dementia. Taking a moment to learn more about it and raising awareness can help promote a more empowering view of living with dementia and a more supportive way of life of, to interact with individuals. I want to take a moment to acknowledge the families, caregivers, health providers and researchers who every day are making a positive impact on the lives of those affected by dementia. You are helping us move closer to our goal, building communities where all people living with dementia are supported and valued. That is the uh, MP for Avalon, Ken McDonald, there on, uh, on behalf of the federal minister, uh, Jean-Yves Duclos, the federal health minister. And, uh, of course, he was there along with Tom Osborne, the provincial health minister, announcing uh, just over $700,000 for the Partnering for Dementia-Friendly Communities Project in, in this province. And also uh, there was Debbie Wall. She's the chief operating officer for the Eastern Rural Zone of Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. Um, she has, like many of us, uh, a personal connection to this, uh, to dementia, uh, as we did ourselves in our family. Uh, my dad was in early onset of dementia last year when he passed. So, uh, you know, I don't know a family that's probably not in some way. There are really exciting and interesting um, treatments that are emerging for dementia. But um, I'm just going to pass the torch here now to Debbie Walsh. She's Chief Operating Officer, as mentioned, for the Eastern Rural Zone for Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. And uh, she spoke as well during this morning's event. I am going to say some things that may sound repetitive, but I think it's important that we understand the impact of dementia and the number of people that live amongst us, our families and friends, 
that are impacted living with or caring for dementia. And I personally am touched by dementia because I have a parent who has it. So very close, dear, near and dear to my heart, also being a nurse. And so in actual fact, in Newfoundland Labrador, there are actually 10,129 people living with dementia. That's the most recent number. And as you know, that's rising every day. And there are people still undiagnosed, so we know that number is even higher. As such, increasing awareness of dementia and breaking down that stigma is important to ensuring that individuals remain active in their communities. And we know the stigma exists. We see it every day. Each person who lives with dementia can tell you that their journey is individualized. It is different for each and every one of them. Creating dementia-friendly communities is a start to recognizing that people living with dementia can feel confident in their abilities to contribute to community life. If we all work together, which this working group has done phenomenal work so far, we can create inclusive communities where people living with dementia continue to be active and they can make decisions about how they live their lives every day. Everyone from individuals to community-based organizations and businesses has a role to play in dementia-friendly communities. If we learn about and promote the principles, we can create environments in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, such as Placentia is doing, and beyond where the individuals can thrive socially and physically. Today, as you heard the minister announce the eight communities with the community engagement coordinators and local partners to create those action plans that will guide those efforts. And I think we can extend even beyond those eight communities. I think it needs to be embedded in all of our communities as we move forward. It is inspiring to see municipal governments, the business sector, community groups, and others working together towards becoming dementia-friendly. Newfoundland Labrador Health Services is pleased to partner with the provincial government, the Public Health Agency of Canada, and community partners to make progress in creating a more dementia-friendly province. We are guided by the Dementia Care Action Plan, which commits to increasing awareness, improved supports and services for people living with dementia, and for their caregivers. We have to remember the caregivers and how we can improve the capacity of our workforce to better support individuals living with dementia and their families. Today's announcement could not have been possible without the valuable input of people with lived experience. There's a saying that I am often heard saying, nothing about us without us. This powerful statement recognizes that we are to become a dementia-friendly province, and in order to do that, we must listen to those who live with dementia and to those who care for them to ensure they are included and supported. It is also important to recognize the contribution of the Dementia Friendly Working Group, comprised of community volunteers who are leading the work in each of the eight dementia-friendly communities. Their work, led by community engagement coordinators, and a shout-out to our provincial public health program, has already led to enhanced dementia-friendly approaches in each community. I know here in Placentia there has been some really great work, which has been mentioned, towards achieving those goals. And I think that's absolutely fabulous. And you should be very proud of the work that you've done, because we are very proud of you. As we create a more dementia-friendly province, we will build awareness among the general public that individuals have the ability to live a good quality of life at home in their communities, where residents, community groups, and businesses are dementia-friendly. Ultimately, a dementia-friendly province will benefit all of us, 
through a more inclusive society. It's been my pleasure to be a part of this announcement that will benefit people who live with dementia, our family, our friends, and their caregivers, so that they will live a excellent quality of life in their communities. And that is uh, Debbie Wall. She's the Chief Operating Officer, Eastern Rural Zone for Newfoundland Labrador Health Services. She was speaking there this morning at uh, an event in Placentia to unveil the Partnering for Dementia-Friendly Communities uh, in the province. Um, investment of just over $700,000 by the province and the federal government. And I like that line, too, that she mentioned there, nothing for us without us. Um, and you heard Ms. Walsh mention, of course, the eight communities that are involved here. Um, and, of course, they were mentioned earlier in the event, but they weren't mentioned in there. But I'm just going to throw them out here now. The eight communities that will be a part of this to start are Clarenville, Cornerbrook, Mary's Harbor, Placentia, Roddickton by the arm, of course, Sencha, wouldn't have held a news conference down there without that. Roddington by the arm, Springdale, Stephenville, and Twilling Gate. So, Twilling Gate. Why did I say Twilling Gate? Never pronounced that way in my life. Dementia-friendly community focuses on stigma reduction and inclusion of people living with dementia. We, all, we like to think, I mean, those are those eight communities. We like to think all our communities are dementia-friendly zones, but this will certainly enhance those particular uh, areas of the province for start. So great announcement there. Um, just coming up to the bottom of the hour here now uh, and news time. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. Uh, Going to shoot off to the news, and when we come back, um, little update on whatever happened and how the crab industry, the snow crab uh, fishery shook out after all the shaking that was going on. And we'll also hear from Jiffy Cabs uh, with their new app and how that's going. So Brian Callahan here on News Talk. We'll be back after the news. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain and uh, always up for a good fishery chat. Um, having in my previous life uh, hosted a certain fisheries broadcast show on another radio station. Um, yeah, <laughs> feels like so long ago. Uh, but I remember uh, meeting Jason Spingle on that show a long, long time ago. He's always been um, very outspoken and blunt and to the point and uh, great chat And when it comes to breaking down some of these issues, which, you know, unless you're in the fishery, some of it can be a little bit jarring and a little bit uh, heavy sometimes. Um, without all the ins and outs. But uh, we all remember, it wasn't too long ago, that the snow crab dispute was uh, top of mind for everybody at the top of every newscast for good reason, uh, given um, the implications and the um, the uh, revenue and, the, and the, the, what business it does for the entire province. Uh, so, um, you know, not to leave it too far in our memory, I had a chat with Jason today on where everything has been since then, uh, how it's been going, and uh, without quoting a particularly very popular ad right now, how it's been going and where are we at now? You know, snow crab, uh, everyone knows, I think, uh, we've said it many times, is our, has been and is our biggest fishery. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest snow crab, the largest quota in the world is Newfoundland Labrador and a, a wonderful product in the most northern uh waters there um but you know with the with the market uh decline that no one expected we have a price that's uh an income loss to harvesters uh to the industry of upwards of 70 percent and as i said before many harvesters uh 
you know, people talk. People will say, "Well, harvesters know there's ups and downs," but uh, I think people uh, certainly know that they live through that. But no one, uh, as I've asked people, did anyone foresee the price of crab being below, for example, uh, four to five dollars? And everyone doesn't matter if it was a harvester, processor, or someone in the public. No one foresaw that from last year to this year. But uh, these things happen, I guess. Even though it's been a, a quite a long time since we've had something with this much magnitude and uh you know there was uh a lot of frustration uh harvesters uh, felt that they couldn't fish for that um and you know wanted we wanted to try to get a formula as we had stated earlier we knew there might be some issues we didn't think they'd be this big we couldn't get there and uh, you know we had a, a quite a significant delay in our season but with that stated uh, and even though the, the quota is increased as well so the resource is very healthy uh you know very pleased to report uh, that um, the um, the crab is coming in uh, at a very efficient rate and good quality uh, i think we're going to be upwards of over two-thirds um, you know right now as we speak and uh, that's a testament to the uh, to the professionalism and the uh, commitment of our harvesters and plant workers for sure and uh, i had the uh, i visited two two plants last week um, in different areas of the province two crab plants and uh, I was really uh, had a great opportunity to talk with the workers and uh, well as management uh, gave us a tour of both plants. And, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, the amount of skill that goes into doing this work is uh, often understated. There's a tremendous amount of uh, skill on different uh, along the production line. And, uh, you know, um, was pretty just a technical point it's pretty amazing from the time the crab goes into the hopper to start being processed uh, basically in an hour is coming out uh, ready for market in the box so uh, but anyway uh, you know uh, right now we don't have any soft shell which can happen with snow crab uh, thing. Uh, it's a really good thing and we've had uh, you know some uh, we've had a week extensions to seasons on the south and northeast coast and uh, you know we're working with the department, working with the industry, uh, the buyers, for example, and we're hoping that, you know, uh, I'm really hopeful we're going to land pretty close to all of this tech, which I think many people felt was impossible uh, when we started um, about seven weeks ago. But, um, but um, you know, again, it shows the the ability of our industry to uh, to do significant things, for sure. Uh, the total allo- tech, of course, is the total allowable catch for people who are just, you know, peripherally peripherally following the fishery. Um, Jason, the uh, price did it stay two twenty five? What happened with what happened with the price throughout the season? Well, two two twenty, uh, and basically we had two twenty. Sorry. Yes, no, that's fine. And you know what harvesters wanted to. Uh, again, I'll say reluctantly, uh, reluctantly accepted our negotiating committee the fact that, uh, and I appreciate the question, that there would be some acknowledgement that if the market improved, there would be some That's increase right. in price. So we, we had increments there, and we put that out there. And indeed, we've seen improvement in the market. And uh, we've, uh, we're up to 230 a pound now. And we're getting closer to another mark, uh, the 550 mark. We're not there yet, but there was an increase the last time in the earner bearing market. And, um, you know, that's uh, so we've gone from 220 to 225 to 230. 
and uh, certainly every cent counts anytime, but particularly now at these uh, at these lower prices. And uh, so it shows that the market is accepting the snow crab, and there's positives there. And, uh, you know, that focuses on what we need to do, and, and the Premier's commitment is to get a formula, market formula in place um, for 2024 that will allow us to focus on, you know, the scheduling issues and, uh, and the quality issues because, uh, you know, I talked about the positives of the crab getting in. There was still a lot of, and still is in places, uh, a lot of concern, you know, uh, particularly we've had concerns and worked through with our smaller boats with smaller quotas that weren't getting a regular opportunity to, uh, to sail, um, and it certainly was a lot of stress. Uh, I think uh, there's been improvement in that now as we've moved along, but, you know, uh, early on in the season there was a lot of of concern and a lot of stress on people. But with all that said, uh, again, I go back to for snow crab, which is uh, upwards of 70-plus percent of of the income for for about that many harvesters in the province as well and plant workers, is... um, Without help, there's going to be a lot of people that are in uh, going to be in a difficult situation, and that's uh, why we've put out. Uh, we went, you know, our president uh, Greg Pretty went to Ottawa and put forward our economic package um, that uh, will allow stabilization in this very important industry. And you know, some of the reaction we had was, "Well, you guys tied up," but it doesn't. You know, the point is, is that the the money that's gone out of the system would have still left people and still going to leave people in a difficult situation. So, Yeah, I just wanted to say on that point, I did't want to interrupt at all, no, really. Go ahead. Go but ahead, but on, on the point, and you're right, that was the first reaction. It was like, how are you going to convince Ottawa to make these changes when it's strictly a regulation thing? I mean, when you make that decision to tie up, even though everybody knew that, you, you know, most people said they could not make a go of it, and if anything, they might lose money if they fished for 220 So, um, yeah, how did that go with Ottawa? What's been the response? What are the odds of you getting some kind of compensation back for that extended EI or whatever given the fact that it really was of your own volition and own decision to tie up without really any rule or regulation that would back you up well we don't we don't have an answer that's what i can say at this point but we're going to continue to push for that uh what we're looking for is of course ten thousand dollars for every harvester and four thousand dollars for every plant worker plus additional help if people you know who who have investments uh that they've got into in the in recent years mm-hmm. And, uh, again, it didn't matter if we would have went fishing right away. The the loss in the industry uh, would have still meant that we have what we have as many people who are in a difficult situation. And it's a major industry, and that's what we're asking for is those support. So we're not going to give up on that. And, you know, we've seen it many, many times before, and, and rightfully so. Help for uh, different industries. Uh, I referenced before many year, a few years ago the automobile industry. Uh, we've seen help with the oil and gas industry, and uh, you know the snow crab and fishing industry in the province is uh, is a paramount industry, and uh, that help. Uh, should be looked at very seriously, and we're going to continue to push on that. And every resource, of course, as you know, you pointed out the assistance for the oil companies, that sort of thing. Every situation is different, I think you'd agree. Um, some might say, okay, well, that's in that industry, but there are other industries such as iron ore up in Lab City where we know how cyclical that industry is. I mean, it can tank 
anytime. Um, doesn't look like it'll happen anytime soon. Uh, not with the so-called new green uh, steel uh, emerging on the market. But th- that being the case, some might say, you know, when in good times, those good years, and I know it seems simplified, but in the good years, you should save money. Like when th- that previous year in crab was a boon for everyone. And some and might say, you know, it, it, and I mean, to what extent do we want government stepping in every time an industry sort of takes a downturn and come in to, to, to back up, you know, if a price doesn't hit what it needs to hit on the markets? Yeah, and I think there's a balance there. I appreciate the question. I, I will go back and say, uh, you know, um, uh, everyone knows that the fish, fishing industry is a commodity industry, and there are ups and downs, and that can be related to price and or quotas. Uh, but, again, everyone agrees that I've talked to that no one expected this type of a downturn. And uh, what I would always say is that this type of help goes back into the communities, back into our economy. So, you know, it's about protecting the owner-operator. And, you know, I just mentioned on the final note on the crab We've, we've uh, signified our concern with the corporate concentration issue. You know, fewer buyers, uh, harvesters will get in trouble, you know, selling out. And we know there are going to be changes, but uh, we want to protect the owner-operator. We want to protect our communities. And, uh, and you know, that's what, that's what the yeah. people that, for example, are politicians, they, when we talk to them about that, they say they want to see the same thing. So we have to uh, make sure we, we have... Uh, we, you know, we have uh, protections in there that will make sure that people aren't left left in the lurch. So, you know, all I can say is we uh, we put forward what we have. We feel is fair, and uh, you know, this industry is what makes fishing industry is what makes uh, coastal communities uh, uh, viable. You know, and tourism is extremely important. But a lot of these communities will fail to exist if the fishing industry is not uh, is not viable, and uh, and that's uh, and that's a point you know we'll that us we'll certainly keep pushing. So um, no, and I take your, I take that point as well. Of course, you know I'm acknowledging absolutely when you say the spinoffs, um, what the fishery does for an entire community, and how it can make or break some. So uh, I get that point as well. So on the other side of yeah. you know to what extent should government be involved? Um, Jason, we're quickly running out of time. I know we only got the crab today. But well, well, I just really yeah. quickly, yeah, sure. no, uh, you know, shrimp uh, here in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, uh, we've had uh, just I just want to really quickly talk about sure. a couple of other things. We've had the uh, shrimp resource that have been declining uh, in quotas over recent years. And we have DFO saying themselves the biggest redfish biomass mm-hmm. uh, ever uh, recorded, you know, uh, changing ecosystems again. These things happen, but there has to be adjustments, and we're working uh, on behalf of uh, our shrimp fleets to uh, to deal with this issue and uh, move forward and protect the fishery on the northern peninsula. And finally, I would say is, look, um, we had hoped for a little more northern cod for sure, uh, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that decision was status quo. And um, so the, the point back to the whole circle of things is that the opportunities – to make up for a crab is not there in other fisheries, like the mackerel's closed again. So uh, I think that ties to it as well. And, uh, you know, we're already seeing an abundance of mackerel here on the West Coast, so we're probably going to be in some of the same frustrations as we had last year uh, for sure. And uh, so it's all tied together, really, right? The uh, the ability for people to, to have other opportunities uh, are, are 
are not there. So that's that's part of this whole uh, conversation, right? Absolutely. Again, uh, so much, so much more we could talk about. But uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks, uh, Jason, very much for the update and and the points. Appreciate the time, Brian, and I do look forward to uh, talking about other species and other aspects uh, in the future. Absolutely. Fishery should never be off the radar. Thanks very much. Thank you. That is uh, Jason Spingle, the uh, Secretary-Treasurer of the FFAW. Uh, covering off at least on snow crab, and we'll get back to him. I mean, there's, we know there's issues with mackerel and um, limited uh, northern cod. Wow, the day that northern cod come back. Um, getting near the end of the show here now on News Talk for Thursday afternoon. Uh, when we come back uh, from the break, I'm going to have a chat with uh, the owner of Jiffy Cabs and their dispatch manager about how it's going now with the uh, new ride app that they have uh, uh, implemented with uh, Jiffy joining a bunch of other cab companies in the city. That's the way she's going. Um, I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. We will be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program and the home stretch. Um, just want to update briefly a couple of traffic issues. So we're told told now that um, the uh, TCH near Soldiers Pond is free-flowing. So that seems to be what, uh, whatever issue was there because we did have confirmation of uh, first responders on the scene, but I guess it's all cleared up. Uh, don't want to read anything t- into it, but the quicker a scene is cleared up. Goes to a point that probably not as serious as some other accidents you might see. Uh, but we are hearing of one a short time ago in Paradise um, between McNamara and, say, the Outer Ring Road uh, overpass uh, in the general area, that busy commercial section there just beyond the, um, say, the Kenmount overpass. Uh, we're in, right, I guess, in between the two, the old Kenmount overpass and the ORR overpass. So uh, if you're around that area, you probably don't need to be told that there's something going down because that's gridlock at the best of times, and uh, that would only exacerbate that situation. Anyway, uh, if you have any other updates, though, and if I'm way off base, I'm going by some Twitter reports and other reports that we're getting here, and uh, so I'll leave it at that. Um, judge yourself accordingly. Um, speaking of driving and uh, getting places, Jiffy Cabs is now the latest to jump on board with the mobile app. Uh, it's early days, only been a few days that they've had it operational. Other cab companies, of course, Citywide and uh, Bugdens and Newfound, others have had it for a little bit extra time. But um, they're all making use. And by all accounts, and for people I've spoken to, it's working out pretty well. You know, you put in your info, you get updates on where the cab is and how long it's going to be. And it can be long, but uh, by all accounts, it's been working out pretty well. Um, I'll let the boys introduce themselves and uh, get an update on the Jiffy Cab app. Jay Dunn, Jiffy Cab's uh, dispatch manager. Chris Hollett, Jiffy Cab's owner. So we know now that cab companies in the city have apps. Uh, Just how does the app work? Uh, You just simply download it, you know, whether you have a Google device or an Apple device from the app store on either. Put in your information put your destination, put your pickup address, you get an estimate on how much the fare is going to be, how long the driver will take, uh, you get notifications when your job has been dispatched and is on the way, and you get notifications when it's outside. Okay, so uh, on average, what do you, what's been the feedback so far? How, how quick are uh, people getting their cabs? Oh, they're getting them pretty quick. Uh, we look on an average there uh, from a time that a call comes in or either on the dispatch, there's 26 seconds there for calls to be dispatched out. 
Yeah, and by all accounts, we're hearing the same stuff. Like, it's people are really surprised. I guess it's like anything, right? You got to try it, get used to it. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's all a learning process. We're here a few days in. There's obviously going to be some snags, but, you know, we're working through them as they come in one by one. So uh, just to clear up, so not everyone knows how the cab situation works in the city. So how many cab companies are there and how many does Jiffy operate? There's five or six companies or, you know, there's four large ones and there's a couple other smaller ones. Um, I think the three other larger ones, they're running their own app and we're running ours separately. But it's the same same thing. So of all the other companies, is, is there a, who's, who's kind of cornering? Is there any indication yet of who's doing the best with the app? Or is uh, no, because uh, we're, we fell a little bit behind the game. We, we're a couple of weeks behind compared to the other companies. But uh, we're like Chris said, we just started ours a couple of days ago. And uh, But from what we've seen in downloads, we're, we're, we got pretty high downloads in our app. So who has the most cabs on the road these days? I think Citywide would have the most. Yeah, like they're kind of an amalgamated company. They're three separate colors, but they're owned by the same two people. Yeah, so it's Citywide, Newfound, and, and Bugdens. Yeah. They're all under one. No, and Jiffy. Just Jiffy now. Just Jiffy. But overall, uh, did you ever see the day? <laughs> we envisioned the day coming a lot sooner than it did, but, you know, here we are. And uh, I'm sure my dad would be proud if he was here. This, this, is, this is the thing that he wanted to do for years and years. 15 20 years when digital dispatch was available like jay was jay's been here since then and he was looking into it back then obviously the cost of implementing back then was tremendous like you know three four hundred thousand for you know a fleet of our size and now you know it's i mean a monthly cell phone bill and you know cost of a tablet then that's it and away you go the Uber situation, do you, do, where are you coming down on that? Is this going to be, you know, all the problems or all the goodness that people are talking about? Well, our app can, uh, totally competes with uh, the Uber app in regards to being able to uh, track your taxis, say how long it's going to be, the cost of what it's going to be. But the only difference with our app and our service, we don't have any surge pricing yet whatsoever. Right. So, yeah, so there's <laughs> cheaper. Cheaper, yes. And <laughs> who doesn't like cheaper? Could do you think the the app and the emergence of it right now could actually uh, probably dissuade Uber? I mean, obviously they've been in discussion with the city. City's talking about it. You know, uh, it's hard for me to speak yeah. for you know multinational corporation like Uber. I mean, but you know the American. Yes, and I bet you it'd be hard for anyone here to talk to somebody belong to that company. So you know that's where we are. Like we're here, we're available, we're in the market. Uh, you know, we have a face. Yeah. They don't established and support homegrown yeah, exactly you know the any money that we take in you know like any extra we put like to put stuff back into the community try to build things with you know Marlon McDonald House the Salvation Army you know just other organizations sports teams we're, we feed back into the community I don't think they do that certainly makes the case there that is uh, the owner of Jiffy Cabs right there Chris Hollett and before Chris we had um, um, Jay Dunn dispatch manager at Jiffy one thank both of the boys for uh, being available on short notice right over at the stand today. I dropped by on the way into the office. And, of course, you heard Chris mention his his dad, late Tom Hollett, who tragically passed away after a motorcycle accident in, it's going on seven years now, I think, Um, next month, I believe it was in August. Um, Big loss, huge loss there. But uh, my thanks again, Chris, carrying on, carrying the torch for Jiffy Cabs. Uh, Thanks again to the boys. So that'll do it for this Thursday edition of uh, News Talk here on VOCM. Brian Callahan sitting in for Linda Swain today and uh, and tomorrow. So uh, we'll catch you then. Drive safely. Arrive alive. Oh, wait a minute. 
Before yes. I say that, Claudette, please, Sorry. quick update on the Paradise uh, yeah. accident. Yeah, so we had a call from one of our VOCM listeners who drove through that accident uh, scene. She told us that there's uh, the accident uh, was at the bottom of Paradise Road there in Paradise, ah. along Topsail Road. Um, she says its traffic is barred off, uh, so it's single lanes in each direction. So it's a four-lane highway, yeah. but they, they're letting traffic go through in each direction. But she says it's so backed up. One direction it's backed up as far as the roundabout and the other it's backed up as far as the outer ring overpass and oh. beyond that so it's a couple of vehicles involved in that uh, accident if you're says. if you're heading that way Ugh. it's a beautiful day for a nice leisurely drive avoid that and take the uh take out around st phillips come back in st thomas's line oh you know i was wondering because that's my normal route yep. or even you could take the new cam out road access that uh, longer that version through the industrial too. area and come out the other way by the paradise community center less lights another option yep. option there for you <laughs> so uh hopefully everyone's okay there too should uh, certainly that is the key consideration all right what was i saying oh yeah drive safely arrive alive bocm cares